0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text-raised message comes from the Old Testament reading of Genesis, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, family, It's a pretty important word in God's word, even though it doesn't really come up that often in the Bible. You see words like household, offspring, tribe, nation, peoples, generations coming up more often than family, but it's all referring to a similar thing. We wouldn't be here today without... Family. You wouldn't be here today without your mother and your father and their mothers and fathers, and on and on it goes. All the way back to Abraham and the promise that God gave to him that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the seashore. We wouldn't be here today without our family. And in order for the family to continue, there has to be a firstborn. Another word that comes up more often in the Bible than family. There is always a first. Sometimes when we talk about firstborns, it's the firstborn of both the mother and the father that matter. Sometimes it's the firstborn of the mother alone that matters. And not all firstborns are equal. Here's a few of them Cain, Isaac, Esau, Reuben, Dan, Gad, Joseph, Manasseh, Ur, Amnon, Jesus. Some of these names mean something and have significance. And some of them, not so much. Some of them, you know, and some of them, not so much. But the firstborn in a family is something that must be there in order for all of us to be here. If a family doesn't have a firstborn, that family will cease to exist once that husband and wife pass away. If all of the siblings do not produce any offspring, Then an entire family line will end. That genealogical tree will stop growing. And this does happen with families today. What also can happen in families is choosing favorites. While we like to think that people don't play favorites, I could ask you a few questions about your life. Like, Who was your favorite teacher in school? And for most of you, you might have one that stands out. Or you might have a few of them that stand out to you. But I doubt that all of you would say, I liked them all the same. Because I know that isn't true for me. Because some of them were the best. They cared for you. They made an impact in your life. They taught you more than just something inside the classroom. They mentored you. Maybe you just thought that they were really cool. Whatever it is. And some of them, some of them seemed like you were just wasting your time being there. Maybe it was how they taught. Maybe it was what they taught. Maybe they created more problems for you in your life. Maybe they could not care less about being there and could not care less about you being there. And sometimes, isn't this true for families too? Families are not perfect. Families can be dysfunctional. That's because families are made up of sinful people. And God still uses sinful people for his plans and his purposes. Sometimes our parents love us. Sometimes our parents show us that they love us. Sometimes our parents don't love us, and we see it in their actions towards us, or at least in how we want to be loved by them. Sometimes our children love us, and sometimes our children don't love us, and we see it in their actions or at least in how we want to be loved by them. Sometimes people are easier to love than others for any number of reasons. And as a result, sometimes parents play favorites. And sometimes children play favorites. And this brings us to our reading from Genesis today. Sometimes we see the story in Genesis today, as a story of Isaac favored Esau, right? Because he's a man's man. He was hairy. He was a hunter. He worked the fields. He was an outdoorsman, and he was the firstborn. Rebekah favored Jacob because he was a, a quiet man, more of a homebody dwelling in the tents, Maybe we'd call him a mama's boy. And even in some of those qualities we hear, we might have a tendency to connect with one of the brothers more than the other. We might even read this story and pick our favorite brother. Do you side with Esau because he's the firstborn and you're the firstborn? Or because you like to hunt? Or because... Well, I mean, he did kind of get screwed over from his brother because his mom helped Jacob steal the blessing that was supposed to be given to him. And so you feel sorry for him, right? Especially when he goes to Isaac and he's like, bless me, father, bless me. And then the blessing that's given to him is basically a recap of the blessing given to Jacob, except this time it's directed to him and how he is going to serve the younger brother. Is that why you like Esau? Or maybe you side with Jacob, because you're the youngest. Maybe you're more of the homebody. And, well, I mean, you know, Esau was kind of an idiot for handing over his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew. I mean, how hungry do you have to be to be willing to part with something that important to your family? Or maybe you don't like either of them, because neither of them are making great choices in life. So let's talk about this birthright for a moment, and let's use the word chosen. Sometimes we think that the firstborn is the chosen one, because they're the firstborn, and they are rightfully intended to be given the birthright which had certain rights and privileges attached to it. There was a double portion of the inheritance that would have been given out. They would have been given the leadership over the family. And they would have been given the blessing of carrying on the covenant promise. Any younger siblings that follow are given something just not as great. Not the greatest wealth. Not the greatest blessings. I mean, really, any other siblings are just kind of getting leftovers. And in our lifetime, we might see this as kind of like a sibling rivalry. We think about sort of this ongoing competition, this ongoing conflict between kids who were raised in the same family. And sometimes when both parents pass away in life, And children have to divide the inheritance among themselves. And sometimes, when it's supposed to be even amongst all the children, it doesn't always go over that well. Even if that is what the will of the inheritance lays out. That's because people are sinners. And sometimes we're greedy and we're selfish and we'll do whatever we can to get whatever we want. In the sibling rivalry of Jacob and Esau, we see that it's actually pretty one-sided. Jacob gets everything. And Esau kind of hates him for it. Even in the beginning, it was set up this way, though. As they're being born, Jacob clutched Esau's heel. Maybe he's trying to stop Esau from getting out of the womb first. Setting up the precedent that he will be a deceiver, a trickster, a cheater, because Jacob means he takes the heel or he cheats. And as they get older, Jacob ended up taking Esau's birthright by trickery. And Esau really shouldn't have given it up so easily. Esau likely was not dying at this moment in time, like he says. So maybe he's being a little bit overdramatic here. He's certainly being careless with his birthright and giving it away like he does really does show that he disregards it. And then, of course, after he gives it away, he despised it. Who's right and who's wrong in this scenario? Well, they're both actually wrong. Jacob is wrong for tricking his brother out of the birthright and and Esau is wrong for disrespecting his birthright, his firstborn privilege so quickly. And that's because Jacob and Esau are both sinners, just like their parents. Rebecca and Isaac are both sinners. They shouldn't have favored each of their children like they did. And then, of course, we get to the end of Isaac's life, and he is old and blind, and he wants to give his blessing to Esau, this blessing that is normally given to the one who holds the birthright the oldest, and it confirms the covenant promise to this child and sometimes foretells of future blessings as well. Isaac wants to bless Esau, asks him to bring him some food, and Rebecca overhears it. And so she gets Jacob to take Esau's place. Sure, they can make a meal like Esau would, but Esau is hairy And Jacob is not. So Jacob gets dressed up in Esau's clothes, has some goat skin put on his hands and his neck to make him feel like Esau, and he goes and brings a meal to his father. But if we're being honest, they don't really do a great job of deceiving their father. Because Jacob doesn't even change his voice. And his father recognizes it the smell and feel of esau but the voice of jacob ah well i'll bless you anyway and jacob is blessed by his father isaac and is a blessing of prosperity that his nation will be blessed that he will rule all over all over his other family and he will dwell in a land of plenty the blessing that should have been given to esau or should it have been? Because, yes, the oldest is supposed to get this blessing. Yes, Isaac wanted to bless Esau. Yes, Rebekah set out to help Jacob deceive his father to get the blessing because, you know, he was her favorite. Yes, Jacob lied to his father about being Esau multiple times. But, I mean, Esau had already given up his birthright already. Did he really care about the blessing? But even more than that, When Esau and Jacob were in the womb, the children were struggling inside Rebekah. She went to God, and he told her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. We may not like how it all went down, But we also don't want to forget God's words to Rebekah. That the older would serve the younger. And in the blessing, that's exactly what happens. Now, maybe that's why Jacob was Rebekah's favorite. Because he was the one who was going to be blessed. And so when it comes time for Esau to be blessed by Isaac, maybe... Rebecca st- stepping in is not about trying to deceive her husband, though it certainly runs in the family. Maybe it's about trying to make sure that God's word is fulfilled. Maybe they just went about it the wrong way. Maybe. What we need to understand is that God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes we don't understand how God works. And why he does what he does. Even in the midst of sin. We do know. That God uses sinners to accomplish his will. He uses sinners to bless all people. He uses liars. And cheats. And murderers. And adulterers. And betrayers. To bring about his plans. As we think about Lent. And as we look towards the cross, we can see that even Judas was deceived to think that turning Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver was a worthwhile investment. But it was all part of God's plan. How God's word would be fulfilled. That God would save sinners like me, like you. And today, maybe you're sitting there, and you might be like some of the characters in the story. You might be like Isaac and Rebecca and play favorites. You might be like Esau and not take your family privileges and write and even your family name very seriously. Maybe you even despise what it means to be a part of your family. You might be like Jacob and you lie, and you cheat, and you deceive, so that you can get your way. You might be like Esau, and hate the things that other people do to you. And as a result of their actions, you might even hate the people who do them to you. You might be like Esau, and ask for blessings from God Because you see that everyone else around you seems to have so much more and is way more blessed than you. And so you cry out to God, Bless me! Bless me, God! Me too! But we don't deserve to be blessed. Because we're sinners. We deserve to be cursed. We deserve death. We don't deserve life. We deserve death. We don't deserve God's love. We deserve to be despised by him, hated because of our sin. We deserve eternal punishment. Hell. That's what we deserve. And that's why Jesus came. To bless us. Not for earthly prosperity, but for eternal salvation. And Jesus came because it was the only way It was the only way for us to receive forgiveness. And in order to do this, Jesus went to the cross. He died the death, the curse, the punishment, the wrath that belongs to us. Jesus takes it for us. Yes, God uses sinful people to do his will. And it is ultimately fulfilled by sinners nailing Jesus to the cross. But in his death, Jesus brings life because he is the sinless son of God and his sacrifice fulfills every requirement to bring about salvation for all people. So where does that leave us all today? Well, all of us, we're family. And God loves us all the same. We're each chosen by him. Dearly loved by him, sin and all. We're each called to be his own. Called to be a part of his family. Called in baptism by name. Just like little Samuel today. God loves each and every single one of us all the same. No matter how dysfunctional we may be. And in our baptism, we are forgiven of our sins. We are clothed with Christ and his righteousness. We are made a new creation through the water and the word. The Holy Spirit at work creating faith if it's not already there. And that's what happened today with Samuel. And then when the proper times come, proper time comes, We're called to come to his table and receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins, for the strengthening of our faith, and for our salvation. And so God's blessings are here for you today. They're here for you today and every day. Forgiveness, life, and salvation. And all God's people said,